The Incomparable. Number 349. April 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell, your host. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about a TV series that recently aired uh, its first season uh, here in the United States on the FX television network. It's called Legion. It was an eight-episode first season. The showrunner is a guy named Noah Hawley. You might have read his books. It's possible. You might have seen his uh, very much beloved by critics TV show on FX, Fargo. And then he did something interesting. He said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip into Marvel Comics lore because Fox has access to the X-Men characters. And I'm going to make a show based on a, a somewhat obscure X-Men character. And the result was Legion, I think, one of the most interesting new shows I've seen in quite a long time. So we're going to talk about FX's Legion. You should go see it if you haven't. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit before we fire off the spoiler horn if you want to get a flavor for it, but you should totally go see it. It's eight episodes. It's really good. Uh, seek it out. Joining me to talk about Legion tonight are the following fine gentlemen, David J. Lore. Hello. Hello. I, I just have two things to say. A, am I really David? And two, Marvel mm -hmm. Comics lore is a cousin. Marvel Comics lore is your cousin, I was going to say, yes. or, or is it Data's yes. cousin? Uh, I don't know. One of those. Nathan Alderman is also here. Hi, I'm coming to you live from my ice cube in the astral plane. Excellent. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've taken off my diving helmet in order to talk to you. And, of course, Philip Moselak is here, too. Hi, Mose. How are you doing? David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other one. This um, is not right. going to get confusing at all. It's not going to get confusing. Like, well, like the no. show. Like the show. Like so the show. Before we get into some spoilery details that are going to turn off people who might want to remain pristine before watching it, which some people do. Some people don't care. I love those people who don't care. But uh, some people do care. And we, I love them, too. It's fine. I don't understand them, but I love them. Anyway, what should we say about the show? It is so, so Legion himself, David Haller, uh, played by Dan Stevens, who you might remember from TV's uh, Downton Abbey, playing a very different role. <laughs> um, he's a mutant. He's a very powerful mutant um, who is in the comics, the son of Charles, Charles Xavier of Professor X of the X-Men. That's implied that he still is in this, although there's no real continuity between this and other projects of X-Men related variety. Uh, and in the comics, he is an incredibly powerful mutant. I think they call him like an Omega level mutant. And he's got some powers that, and he's also got some serious um, mental illness and disabilities that are that are uh, sort of at the root of his origin. Noah Hawley took this kind of core concept. He appeared in like some New Mutants episodes and some like X-Factor issues and stuff like that. He, he, he took that and then said this would be an interesting show to build uh, a character to build a show around because he's got powers, but he also struggles with mental illness. And I think in in a brilliant bit leap of logic, he said um, this the portrayal of mental illness and uh, how he interacts with the world is also probably what would happen to somebody if they were incredibly 
um, psychic, that they would also have difficulty understanding what was going on in reality in a similar way to somebody who might have a more, you know, traditional non-mutant related mental illness. So that's that's the, the kind of backstory here is that Noah Hawley kind of mined this semi-obscure character, although, you know, child of famous character, and kind of went off on his own. And essentially, this show, you don't need to know anything about the X-Men at all. In fact, I would argue that maybe knowing things about the X-Men is is mm. a problem, is a liability, yes. because you yes. you shouldn't it is. try to make connections, because that's not what the show is about. The show is about this ki- this guy, this I mean, this kid, David Howler, who is messed up and gets institutionalized, and and we try to figure out what's going on as he tries to figure out what's going on in his life. So, do you guys agree? Like, you don't you don't really don't need X Men knowledge. In fact, it might be better without it. Absolutely. I I never read the X-Men comics except for, you know, I read Days of Future Past years and years ago. And, you know, every now and then I'd pick up something and, and notice it. But it was never something that I read. And when this started up, even when they announced it, I thought, oh, wow, Noah Hawley doing a, a comic thing. That might be interesting. But I'm I'm at peak comic stuff. I'm sure. You know, there are enough things that I watch and read. And it's like, I, I just want something different. Right. And so when it premiered, I just skipped over it. I was like, I'm not even going to worry about it. Cause I just, I, I don't have enough time and I don't, you know, I'm, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's a comics thing. And the second week, uh, I guest hosted the TV talk machine and Tim Goodman said, have, have you watched Legion yet? And I said, no, yeah, cause I'm at peak comic is no, 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 no. Yeah. I don't even like comic book stuff. This is one of the best things I've seen in a long time. Watch it. And I went and picked up the first two episodes and went, holy cats. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to watch mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. show because it's it's almost incidental that it's a comic book show totally. or that it's a Marvel <laughs> show. It is a Noah Hawley show, and I really like Noah Hawley shows. Uh, I've, I've written that the fact that this was not faithful to the comics – is actually uh, an advantage in its case. Most in most of the time, when you have that, it's a liability. Here, I um, mean, in the comics, David Haller has like a four foot tall mohawk, um, <laughs> which you know I would love play. to see Dan Stevens. No, no, a kid in play and play and play and play and play and play. Kid in <laughs> long play. Kid um, in long play. Yeah, I, I'd love to see Dan Stevens try to pull that off. But uh, the fact that this took the the tiny gem of a comic book idea found the the thing about it that made the comic book character interesting and then ran with that all the way down the field and then like through several other fields as well. Um, I think that was really one of the best parts about this show. Well, and I remember the only reason I remember Legion as a character was reading through a Marvel universe in probably 1992. Uh, There's a character, Legion, great. And I only recognized him because he was – uh, drawn by Bill Senkovich and yeah. I'm a huge admirer of his artwork and I was like wow he's drawing him but that guy's like a nobody like who cares and I remember seeing those comics and I was like man Senkovich drew it it's got to be good but it just seems so yeah there was just a barrier to entry I was like eh, I don't care and at that point I was just you know I was I was interested in other things but I'm glad that I never read, and this, again, this is probably going to make a lot of uh, listeners sw- somewhat angry. It's like we have a lot of people that haven't actually read the comic, and so we can't uh, kvetch over that. But so what? 
this is a great show and it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I like the fact that, that the show kind of pays homage to Sinkovich's unique art style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinkovich yeah. works in, in a yeah. lot of different mediums and, uh, and, you know, will change his art style dramatically to represent different aspects of a character or their psyche. And I like that the show very subtly paid homage to that with its ever shifting style. And, and it really reminds me of a, like a late sixties British, uh, spy fi kind of show. Like it's a little bit of intrigue, but it's a little bit of mind screwing around with three. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if I want to avoid a, a foul word. Yes. You, you um, forgot the blood curdling horror. That too. Yes. It is very much in that tradition. Is it the prisoner in 2017? Yeah. I would, I would go that far. It's David Lynch's The Prisoner, uh, co-directed oh, by yeah. Wes Anderson. Ooh. Well, that's, then that's the thing, right? Like, you know, you, you, Look at the Avengers and you go, well, Joss Whedon, that makes sense. And this, you're like, yeah, it's Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers or, you know, uh, a French new wave director. I mean, come on. That's that's crazy. But it works. Yeah, it's it's the I mean, whether it was inspired by Bill Sienkiewicz's art or not. I mean, I mean, it had to be right because it is it is so the the show is visually distinctive and in a couple of different ways. Right. There is the. There is the psychedelic almost, uh, these kind of trips that he takes where you don't know what reality is like and things look really weird. And it, the show's trying to get across that he's kind of unmoored from reality and doesn't know what's real and is not. And, uh, you know, how do you visualize psychic abilities and things like that? And that is, that is very strongly like the, what you got from Bill Sienkiewicz's art, not, not just when he did New Mutants, but like all of his comics art. I mean, I remember that from Moon Knight too. It's like, what am I even seeing here? Right. It's Bill Sienkiewicz. He's crazy. His art is amazing and weird, but I, the uh, the visual look of this, I think this is one of the best looking shows I've ever seen. And the art direction, the um, the sets are amazing. Oh, and, it, like oh, you yeah. can tell that they put they put uh, a lot of emphasis on how things were set in the scene. Oh well, I mean the frame. I mean, so first off, the sets are beautiful, right? They, they are these weird, like brightly colored '60s influence. The costumes are interesting, and they're all. It, it's set in sort of like the modern day. If it was the '60s, it's it, it's not. Yeah, it's not the '60s <laughs> because they have modern technology, but it's also not the modern day because of the way that they're dressed. It is it is a very like swing in London kind of '60s feel. I I get from it, right? And then the shots yeah. are all. It, it is such a deliberately shot show and and the again for a show that doesn't have to be about the x-men because it's not about the x-men and yet you know legion the logo has the x in the middle of the o to to give you that like hint of the x-men connotation and if you watch the show and look for x's you will go you'll find them you you will oh my god you'll go to town (laughs) because there's a there's a great moment where uh there's a there's a big window and it's got like crossbars in it and you're like i get it i get it but it's so brilliant because it's in the background and and david's sitting right in front of it and it's like yeah he's at the center of this big x we we, right but it's all i mean again some shows do that artful stuff better than others do and this is a show that is taking the time to make these kind of beautiful sets and these these beautiful shots and these really wild images and just on a visual level story aside i feel like there is so much here worth watching just just turn the sound down and don't pay attention to the story and it's worth watching yes right and that's that's why i felt really bad after i came to it and went of course i should have thought noah hawley fine yes i knew it would be good because i love fargo 
And, you know, both the, the first two seasons of Fargo are amazing with some just brilliant design, brilliant filming, and really just a, a playfulness to the storytelling and to the character development and the character names even. And that all comes through in this. It's the same kind of attention to detail and the same uh, willingness to trust the audience and be playful about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, you're talking about details in in and. I hate to go and say this because I, I, but I need to get off my chest that and Do say it. that I Let saw this part. Okay. Did anyone notice when they were planning attacks? And this isn't spoiler term, spoiler alarm kind of action here. Yeah. But there were GI Joes that I played with that I owned, like a Cobra Hiss tank and Dusty <laughs> the Desert Stormtrooper. I said Stormtrooper. That's that's a little off, but I'm mixing, crossing things up a little bit. But there were some vintage G.I. Joes all set up on a table. And I uh-huh. challenge you to look at it. They are at least 25, 30 years old. It's amazing. Okay. I just want to point out I am sitting here uh, with a 45-year-old G.I. Joe on my desk. So to me, those are new G.I. Joes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I, I'm with you. I'm <laughs> yeah, totally with you. That, I, know, I know. I know. That shows you the attention to detail and also the, the deliberate attempt to set this thing yes. out of time. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, right. It, there's in fact, there's a line of dialogue where somebody mentions what somebody did in the 40s. And if you do the math, that must mean it's in the 60s, except it can't be in the 60s because of the technology we see that is modern technology. You, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I remember. You, I remember that happening. <laughs> so when, when is when is it? Is it the 60s, but more modern? And the answer is probably like so many shows. It's just a show. You really should just relax. It's a Mystery Science Theater it's, moment here. Just, it's just calm Marvel down. Sixties. It's it's the mod pop art. It wants you to be yeah. off balance, and 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 the, so it's just going to pick and choose. It's in it's in its own little world, and that's it's, good. It's Barbarella. It's Danger Diabolique. It's you know, it's all of those things too. Sure. No, I, I looked up the production designer because I wanted to see who had made these amazing sets where where each place feels like a character unto itself. And it turns out the guy's name is Michael Wiley. And when you see his previous credits, you see why he was so great for this. Uh, he's worked on, among other things, Pushing Daisies, which was all about sure. the you know Avengers-inspired, uh, surreal 1960s sets. And Agent Carter for Marvel, which, uh, yes. you know, oh, for all yeah. his other feelings, had an amazing sense of place. Wait, wait, wait. Failings? Anyway. Another <laughs> ratings. show. The ratings Different. failed. <laughs> different, different, different show. Not this show, but certainly set, setting a sense of place, and that's obviously what they wanted from this. Is they wanted this to feel like so? It's like kind of like a period piece, and kind of not. And it and it's just it's fascinating. Also, lots of lots of evergreen trees because it was shot in Vancouver. The second season is going to be shot in L.A., so it's going to have a very different vibe um, in that way. But lots of interesting. They, they you know they're like in a treehouse. There are these fascinating buildings on the outside that that they built for this the secret lair of the people who are kind of like the mutant rebellion. And by the way, drivers are on the right now, and so I was like, is this even America? Yeah. <laughs> well, and. When, when you say, you know, the second season will be in LA and it'll feel very different. And that was a big fear with Fargo. How would season two work? Cause it's going to be a different time period and different characters and different everything. And it worked. So at this point, I trust, you know, sure. cause you, you get scared when you think, Oh, they're going to move from Vancouver, which is scenic and can, can be everything to Los Angeles, which always looks like Los Angeles. Well, Va- Vancouver can be everything if, if you want an evergreen forest. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> They but, have palm trees. Yeah. A couple. 
Let me take a moment out of our podcast to tell you about our sponsor this week on The Incomparable. This week, our sponsor is SaneBox. Once again, let me ask you a question. How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? I'll tell you mine. I have 63 unread emails. And if I click over there, I'm actually terrified to think it says 938. No! Whether it's 100, 1,000, like me, 20,000, if your email is anything like mine used to be, the answer is there are too many emails in your inbox. Here's the thing. Even though I know I want to do something about it, I really don't know how to deal with it. I just sort of do a mass delete every so often, declare bankruptcy. At the same time, I know that if I do that, I'm going to miss something important. It's dangerous. It's difficult. There is a solution. The secret to reaching inbox zero, taking back your email sanity, it's called, fittingly, SaneBox. SaneBox sorts through your email. It moves all the trivial stuff into a different folder, so only the messages that you actually want to see are in your inbox. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. You move an email into the black hole, and what happens? You'll never hear from the sender again. It doesn't just file that email. It files that person forever in a black hole, which can be incredibly rewarding. It lets you very easily manage your email and say, never want to see this again. Gone. You'll never see it again. We can all use more organization in our email lives. That's why SaneBox is a great product that you should try and you can get a great deal. Go to SaneBox.com slash incomparable today, and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today, and let me know if you love the black hole and reaching inbox zero just as much as I do. That is S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash incomparable. Take control of your email inbox with SaneBox. Thank you, SaneBox, for sponsoring The Incomparable. Now, I can't I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, let's turn off the sound. That was me. That was Jason. However, I will say this show has a budget for music that rivals oh, yeah. anything oh. that I've ever seen. And I will I just want to go on tap and saying this because I've said it multiple times in our Slack. But Up the Beach by Jane's Addiction has never been used in such a correct and yes. beautiful way Yes, in episode one. And I, I mean, there are so many drops and awesome songs in this entire series that it just, I mean, I would love to, there's got to be somebody that's already done this, but compiled, hey, here's the playlist for Legion. It's awesome. Well, and again, uh, last year at ATX down in Austin. Uh, I met with Noah Hawley because they were doing a thing about the music of Fargo and uh, met with his music coordinator. And and the effort they go to to get the songs that they want for the shows is is kind of crazy. But, yeah, it's that, again, that de- attention to detail. This is a show that manages to use a song from The Who, which, you know, CSI kind of ruined that for everybody. You know, every CSI show has a Who theme song. Mm-hmm. And yet – this this used it and you didn't even think about it you're just like yes that's the right song in the right moment used the right way episode two ends with thomas dolby and it is the Mm. perfect it's not the song you're thinking of everybody (laughs) no it's hyperactive which is a great thomas dolby (laughs) song by the way and it is used 
perfectly to knock you into the end credits at the end of of, of episode two. Just like that was yeah. that was the one Mose that we were talking about that just knocked me back. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like every yeah. <laughs> use is careful and eclectic. And again, also songs from all over the back catalog making you question where you are in time and space with this show because, like, I have no idea. It looks like the 60s. It sounds kind of like the 80s, but except sometimes the 70s. Yeah, exactly right. Just amazing. Like, if you start with Happy Jack, that's going to put you in a certain place. Right. And right. You're, you're, right. you're showing, a, you know, a montage of time. So where exactly am I? One, I... Don't know any of these songs you guys are referencing, but I did like the music in general. I'm I'm completely unhip. Uh, the song that that made the biggest impression for me, without getting too much into spoilers, is the Rainbow Connection. Uh-huh. One of my favorite yeah. songs, a song yeah. I used to sing to my one year old, and uh, I've never heard it uh, in a context that made it absolutely terrifying before. And I love this. <laughs> that. What what a what a bold move! What an audacious kind of move to say. I'm going to use the Rainbow Connection. I mean, it is a m- song from a movie. It has its own Kermit the Frog connotation, right? And and they're like, nope, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna also we should say that we should say that Sid, uh, one of the characters in 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 the show, is she is named for a member of Pink Floyd. Her name is she is Sid Barrett. So it goes that deep with this stuff. It goes that deep. They wanted, you know, they, 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 in fact, there's an article that I read that said, we wanted to score this like f- by all by Pink Floyd, which we, they decided not to do, but it was that kind of feeling. Yeah. I mean, I know there was a huge fight to get the one Pink Floyd song on the WKRP DVDs because it was just the, the songs that they pulled out of it. Um, they were able to replace, but you know, it, it was just a song. Whereas this was woven in with dialogue yeah. and it referenced yeah. things. And they just these days, you ca- the these nose. days you have to clear everything, and which means that you have to exactly. pay for everything. And I mean, good lord! I mean, Mo, as you mentioned the money they spent on this. The Rolling Stones are in episode one, right? That is <laughs> right. expensive, <laughs> right? right? To t- to look from the outside, it's like I mean, Jane's Addiction, well done, well picked. Uh, but sure. but when you when you're paying for the Rolling Stones, you're paying real money to to set a tone yeah, absolutely. in your show every day. And, and because it's these days, you're signing that contract to pay money for all the ancillary versions of the media that will forever go out, the the streaming, the DVDs, whatever, the the mental hologram that will be beamed into your head thirty years from but now. But you couldn't do the show without it because it is that no, kind of show. No. It is the visuals, it is the music, it is. Now we haven't even talked about the actors and the story very much, but but. I want to say this show is not an empty box containing music no. and visuals. There is a really no. interesting story and some very interesting and surprising characters that happen. Is it, it just, time for the spoiler well, horn? I, before, before the spoiler horn, I, I was just going to say, you know, when you think about the music budget and then you think about the set design and, and just the, the look of it and you think this is on FX. This is not a major network, right? Well, it's not the what we think of when we think broadcast network. Uh, you know, their budgets are lower. And to think this looks that good and sounds that good, it's going to have like two people and they're not going <sighs> to go anywhere. And no, it is a fully fledged. I mean, it is it is fantastic. And it happens to have a great story. We live in the era the of like Westworld where, you know, I watched the Westworld uh uh, pilot and I thought, oh my god, they are spending so much money on this show. Right, and Legion felt right. the same way. There's a reason there were only eight episodes, right? But but uh, but it felt like you could see it. The money's on the screen. That's the other thing that's brilliant about it because all and I, you know, 
as well done as all of them except Iron Fist are. The ones on Netflix, uh, the Marvel shows on Netflix are all, you know, what, 13 episodes and they drag in the middle. Yeah. And, yes. and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. drags and drags. Even in the good seasons, it still drags a little bit. And this is eight episodes. Agent Carter was eight episodes too. And, and they're, they're telling a tight story and there, there's no flab. There is no fat on this show. Yeah. Agent Carter was delightful, by the way. I, I love Agent Carter, too, and I'm about to mention why I, I talked about its failings. Um, this show goes for broke. You, you mentioned all the money they spent on it, and that's not necessarily something you see on other Marvel shows. And I think that right. must have been Fox's influence. Yeah, That's what I meant by, oh, by the failings of Agent Carter. Agent Carter and a lot of the other Marvel shows um, hesitate to embrace all the things they could embrace about the comics, and they hesitate to spend money. One of the reasons totally. Iron Fist is so bad is that it is the cheapest possible version of an Iron Fist show you could make. And this show doesn't care about any of that. It just goes for broke. It spends the money. It doesn't worry about whether it's tied to continuity. It doesn't worry about what it can or can't do. It just goes for it. And I think that is, is one of the reasons why it's one of the, the better comic book shows on television, even though it has almost nothing to do with the original comics. And I think it's easy for people to get mixed up about about like Marvel shows that are based on Marvel comics and kind of put them together. And we should say it that like this is this this is a Marvel TV show. Like the X Men movies are Marvel movies. They're not. They're Fox. They're you know Fox has has the rights. And I believe there was actually a negotiation between Fox and Marvel where they gave some characters back to Marvel in exchange for getting the go ahead to do TV because Fox. Had, has film rights, but the TV rights are a little bit, you know, up up in the air. And and but the deal was made. But really, this is an FX show that has Marvel some Marvel producers listed, and maybe they consulted and saw some scripts. But really, this is not like the people who are making this are more aligned with the people making the X Men movies than they are with Marvel TV shows. And even then, I think it really isn't. I mean, it, it, I'm sure Jeff Loeb uh, like gets the scripts, but I, it really, it's Noah Hawley is doing all the work here, and and uh, like Brian Singer and Simon Kinberg who are involved in the uh, in the movie franchise too. So it's a very like again, I, I mean, how, I don't know how many times we could say it. It's like first off, if you're tired of superhero and comic book things. Don't worry. This show is not going to make you more tired. It's not that kind of show. And second, if you're sort of sick of the whole Marvel thing and you think they're all of the same kind, this yep. isn't like any of those either. This is a really this isn't like a show anything you've ever seen. It's not. I was trying to think of the biggest. So here's the funny thing, and then we'll blow the spoiler horn and talk a little more about the plot, but a little bit more we can go to before we get there. Um, what's the comp for this show? What's the closest match to this show? And the show that comes up that people mention is actually Twin Peaks, which is. I was going to say that. Right? Which on one yeah. level is totally not the same. On another level, if you're thinking it's weird and you don't quite know what you're seeing and it's not what you expect. And Twin Peaks is a very old show at this point, uh, you know, very different, very much slower pace than this show. But I can see why God, people yes. would bring those things up together because this, like like Twin Peaks back in the day, this is a show you watch and you're like, I don't even know. Like, not that I don't understand the show, because I feel like it is actually understandable. It's not just a mishmash that you let wash over you and you have no idea what the hell happened. I, I, I really strongly believe it's not that kind of a show, but it is super weird and intentionally so. And in that way, and yeah. There are things you have to chew on. You have to chew on it a little bit. I agree. And allow it to wash over you, because if, if you're looking for definitive things and <laughs> you you can't you can't necessarily allow that to happen you know you just you have to be able to allow it much like mr robot and we've said this multiple right. times 
allow it to wash over you and digest it a little bit and just say, this is this. And yet every weird cutaway, every seemingly random burst of strangeness in the show ha- fits in later. Yes. It, it comes it, it comes back. It has a place. Uh, it, it fits into the story that they want to tell. I feel that. And, and I also wanted to say that like, like a lot of things that David Lynch does, the show's kind of transgressive. It, it wants to play rough. It wants to hit you in those primal mm-hmm. dream logic places where your, your guard isn't up and really kind of unsettle you and, and dig its nasty long fingers into your brain. Uh, and I like that about it. Hey, everybody. A quick break just to remind you that there are lots of other podcasts on the Incomparable Network. I am now doing my weekly Doctor Who flashcast. Now the Doctor Who is back in season. Those are at the TV podcast, so you can check that out at theincomparable.com. Also check out This Week in Time Travel, our new Doctor Who-focused podcast. Every week, Chip Sutterth and Alyssa Frankie with guests and interviews and discussion of the latest in Doctor Who stuff. If you're a sports fan, Beginner's Puck, all about hockey as the hockey playoffs heat up, and and the ring post from Mike Hurley is all about wrestling, if you want to check that out. And TV fans, uh, including fans of Legion, check out Tim Goodman's TV Talk Machine. I talk to Tim every week about the latest and greatest in television. And Monty Ashley and Rias Hall do their own reality TV podcast, which just started on The Incomparable, called The Villain Edit. There's a whole lot more at TheIncomparable.com, so check it out. And thanks for listening. There's an episode um, near the end, but not quite at the end, that is, like I would say a lot of the David Lynch stuff, especially in Twin Peaks, it is deliberately frustrating the audience. Like, you want to know what happens next in terms of the plot. And there's an episode where the plot seemingly... It doesn't actually, but seemingly comes to a halt. And it's literally the show saying, yeah, we're not going to show you that. We're going to show you this totally other thing. And 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 we're going to make you mad at us. And it does it on purpose. And it does it brilliantly. But it reminded <laughs> me of the kind of thing that, that a very confident creator and also somebody who's not afraid to kind of bug their audience a little bit to get a reaction out of them, like David Lynch does. Um, that's, yeah. what this, that's what this show does. But I will say, and I feel strongly about this, so I want to say it again. Um, I think this is a show that requires careful viewing and it rewards careful viewing i don't think it's a puzzle show in the sense that you leave an episode having no idea what's going on and you have to wait for solutions there are things that you need to wait for in the storytelling because it's a story and 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 there are things that it stretches out but i don't feel like after after every episode of legion i didn't feel ripped off I felt like because no. I was watching carefully and not, you know, checking my email like I do with some shows that I watch, I <laughs> felt it played fair and that everything that I saw, you could think about it and figure out what happened. You didn't get to the end and go, oh, I have no idea what just happened in this show if you were paying attention. And I feel like I want to I want to warn people about that because it would be very easy to say, oh, yeah, it's a psychedelic show. And they just screw around with your head and you have no idea what's going on. It's like, no, I think I think Noah Hawley's writing, especially he's really careful about giving you all the information you need to put it together in the episode and and not walk away feeling like you know what did I? What the hell did I just watch? Do I have to come back next week to understand what I just saw? I, so I and I, I that's a hard thing to do, but I think I think Legion absolutely nails it. I, and I think well, you know, just saying that I think the casting anchors some of those feelings for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb right now and yeah. go ahead and get get a little sensitive. Okay. All right. Look, we're here for you. All right. All right. Young All Mo's right. used to really 
had had a hankering for designing women. Loved it, in fact. All right, so I'm letting you in that, on. I did not expect a, that. No, you're, you're not supposed to expect it, and because there's a toughened exper- exterior that I that I I, I perpetrate. Okay. Sure, sure, but you got and the soft, you got the soft, uh, creamy in, oh, inner, yes. inner, inner, I, inner, oh. like like a Cadbury egg. You got a little soft. Although inside. I mean, if if you had asked me, I would have said Moe's reminds me of Julia Sugarbaker. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a I've got a creamy nugget, and uh-huh. I don't mind saying, hey, it. hey, whoa, Gene <laughs> Smart, Gene Smart. Oh yes. Wow, are you kidding me? I was right? not expecting her to just. I mean, look. Designing women, she wowed me. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but but where has she been? Oh, okay, come on to Legion. I was flabbergasted, and she was fantastic. I had a little warning because she was magnificent in the fifth season of 24. Which, if you're gonna watch 24, that's the only one to watch. And she was she was one of the only good things in the first season of the New Hawaii Five O. Also playing a serious role, and it was like. This is not designing women. And she was nominated for an Emmy uh, for her work on the second season of Fargo, which is why she apparently just when Noah Uh, Hawley called, she was like, yep, got it done. And she's playing a part. (laughs) There are a lot of characters in this that are kind of analogs. If you're going to be a comics nerd like me a little bit, there are analogs to roles that would probably have been a canonical X-Men character in another place. And Jean Smart is a good example of that. Yeah. What's what's her analog? I don't know. She's she's uh, she's a mix up of a bunch of different characters. I feel like she's a little like uh, Moira, Moira McTaggart. She's a little bit of a, she's a little bit of a Professor X or a or maybe a she's good and not evil. But if she were evil, I'd say she's a little bit like um, uh, Emma Frost, like White Queen. Yeah, that's okay. Right? That's but, why I thought she's who that, she was. But she's that kind of character. She is. She is the leader of this mutant school, essentially. That's living out in the woods, trying to let people can take control of her powers. She's great. She's really great. And she adds. I, I say that about um, like in the Flash, how having Jesse L. Martin. Um, and, and Tom Cavanaugh to a certain extent, but especially Jesse L. Martin really grounds the show because it gives you somebody to hold on to while weird stuff is happening yep. and be like, this person, yeah. I trust them. This is a, this is a grown up. They, they know what I they're know doing. What they're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. They, they, the gravitas portion of the, of the proceedings, right? Gene Smart does that in spades. Like she, she anchors this show. It's never going to float away. It's never going to get too weird because you got Gene Smart there. Dan Stevens is great. I was never a big, um, Downton Abbey person. So I don't have I I know people have Never reacted like oh my god to him because he's very different in Downton Abbey obviously not a psychic mutant with an American accent in Downton Abbey um, but he's he's really good <laughs> but it would be more yeah, fun I, if he were I, um, can you imagine um, you can David yeah uh, I would Dan watch Stevens, that. he does a really great job I really like Rachel Keller as Sid I think she's inter- she is the rogue basically character she's she's got the ability to absorb people when she touches them so she's basically rogue but rogues in the x-men so they've just got sid here but she you know they're they're like romantically related they've got they build a relationship they can't touch each other because of her power because she swaps minds which as a pushing daisies fan i loved right it's the yeah it's the same kind of thing so they're, they're, they're there's that separation but he's he's a very powerful mutant and so they get moments where they can sort of like be in a mental like astral plane kind of place together which is cool um and let's let's do a shout out to aubrey plaza 
as well. Oh who you may only oh, know wow. from Parks and Recreation, <laughs> although she's been in other things, Safety Not Guaranteed. She's been in a bunch of other stuff. But but if you just know her from Parks and Rec, you will especially be blown away by the totally wacky performance that she does that at first I felt she was doing a uh, a 12 Monkeys Brad Pitt, but it ends Ooh, up being way more than that. As the and show yet goes her on. role is, is arguably still on a continuum with April Ludgate. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Apparently, that role was written as like a man in his late 40s, early 50s. And they called her up and she said, well, what is the role about? Well, we wrote it as a man. And, and she said, don't change a thing about it. <laughs> and that's how she's playing it. Yep. Which is I insane. heard her on a podcast with Anna Ferris talking about, I, I think it was there, she talked about how she uh, auditioned really hard and lobbied really hard for a part playing a psychotic murderer on like Law & Order SVU or something. She really wanted to do more than just comedy. She wanted to do all the dark, creepy stuff that apparently fascinates her. And I have to feel like when she got this role, uh, she did probably what would be the equivalent of a fist pump for the rest of us, maybe like half of her mouth smiled ever so slightly. <laughs> slightly raised eyebrow. One eyebrow only. <laughs> and looks at the camera. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, because she's, she's uh, it's it's the showiest part. And so, you know, I don't want to oversell it because it's a good, she does a great job. It's always easier, I think, to be noticed, to do the wild and crazy parts instead of the she toned down parts. So well. But she does a great job. She No, there's no, no doubt about it. She does a great job. The other people I wanted to mention, by the way, Bill Irwin is uh, mm-hmm. is in this he's good in everything i would say and yeah he's never not good and uh i especially want to do a shout out to the surprising he comes in sort of late in the season edition of jermaine clement from flight of the concords oh, so great who is also really great in this in his in his very strange role that he has that <laughs> so just good cast so basically what does the show not have is what I'm saying. Very little. It's it's so tightly written and compact. And I think you need to th- blow out the spoiler horn at this point because things are happening. I think you're right. In yeah. fact, the only thing left to say before the spoiler horn is, you know what the show doesn't have, uh, Moe's? You know what it doesn't have? have? It doesn't have any Potts and Dixie Carter in it. But that would be a different show. That Damn would be, it. That would just Oof. be Designing Women. Okay, would watch. Let's fire uh, off. Designing right Mutants. Let's Come fire off right there. the Designing Spoiler Horn. <laughs> All I'm going to say is if if any of you say and and tell anybody about my designing women thing, I'm going to freaking come <laughs> I'm, to your house. I'm never, I'm never okay. going to mention it. Anyone. It's a, it is a safe space here in the Incomparable Podcast. Right, it's just good. you okay, and cool. you, just you and us and the listeners, and we're all uh, we're all we're Who? all friends. What do you mean, listeners? Nobody listens. If if it <laughs> makes you listens. feel better. I watched almost every episode of it. You have nothing to, you know. I'll talk. I'll talk to you about Murphy Brown sometime, Moe. <laughs> oh. Well, that's. I just left it on after Murphy Brown, but yeah, that's ah, good. It's all good. It's all good. I don't it want is. to talk about it anymore. It so and then Northern Exposure. So Spoiler Horn. Spoiler Horn is blown off. So now we can talk about like, uh, like what the heck happens in this show, right? I mean, it's. It's a uh, it, it's it's him learning about his powers and one of the things I didn't want to say before that I'll say now and it's sort of a spoiler for the comic. I don't know one of the great things about this is I don't know what Noah Hawley is picking and choosing from the from the canon here because Legion mm-hmm. his the elevator pitch for Legion is that he's a guy with uh, with multiple personality disorder and every personality has a different power. 
And so I expected this show to be Aubrey Plaza appears. It turns out she's one of his personalities. Aubrey Plaza appears. She sets things on fire. And then the man with the yellow eyes appears and he makes people's heads explode. And then David appears and he makes things fly around the room. I thought that's what the show was going to be. Yeah, like you're your own personal deck of cards. Yeah, he's a, he is like, a, he's a no. legion. He he is legion. He can he is many people and each of them has their own superpower, right? And that may be where the show ends up down the road or it may not be, but that's not what this season is. This season is very much I think the core concept, if I'm, if I, if I can reverse engineer it, is if you were the most powerful psychic power on Earth, you know, you you were most the most powerful telepath on Earth. What would that do to you? And what Noah right. Hawley is saying is, it would drive you crazy, and everybody would think you were crazy and would begin to diagnose you because what else could it be? And the answer is. You know, it, you're not crazy, or maybe you're being driven crazy by your powers, but you have powers. That's the thing. You're not, David, it, it turns out they're like, you're not sick. You're special. He is actually sick, right? Because he's got a monster living in his head, which is also a little tweak from the comics. But I just, I think that's such a great idea to say, you know what? If you were a super powerful telepath, you'd be really messed up and they probably institutionalize you. And that's where we meet David is in that state. Oh, yeah. And what if I gave you schizophrenia just to boot so you don't really know what's real and who's talking to you and when? Yeah, he's he's yeah, right. That's that's the question. So is he mentally ill? Can we believe what he's seeing? Is he hallucinating? Does he have multiple personalities? Does we don't know, you know, is he is he, you know, what 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 are his illnesses that he has? And, and we see him in that traditional mental institution. It's, you know, right all the way from one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of setting. And you think, I, I think in that pilot, you at first think you know what the show's going to be, and it's totally not that. And I like the way the show puts us, makes us empathize with David by making us not sure what's real, by mm-hmm. subjecting us to a bombardment of hallucinogenic, uh, hallucinogenic images and strange sounds and strange cutaways. I, I really... that. It didn't occur to me until just now that the show was trying to put us in David's shoes. And there's another show um, called Crazy Head uh, from the guy who made Misfits, Howard Overman. A British show. It's on Netflix. And I was excited when I heard about it because it was basically going to be Buffy but with mental illness. Um, But they do a cop-out on that show where the characters think they're mentally ill but then discover that they have never been mentally ill. They've been healthy the whole time and these demons they've been seeing that made them think they were crazy – are real. And so because they can actually trust their perceptions, it doesn't have the same power that you get here with Legion where he, you know, yeah, he's powerful, but he really is struggling with this thing. Yeah. And, and I love, so I've, I've had some brushes with anxiety in my life. I'm lucky they've been so much milder than, than what some other people have gone through. But when I was dealing with that, when I was struggling with that, it did feel like there was something, some black presence in my brain that was invasive and was was uh, attacking me that wasn't me. And that's how they actually tell you to think of it to help with your recovery. If you can think about it as, as an enemy, as something that isn't you, that isn't a part of you, then you're better equipped to fight it. And I liked the way that, uh, spoiler alert, the, the thing living in David's head is characterized that way. And yet at the end of the series, when he's looking it in the face, he's like, how am I going to live without you? Who am I without you? It, it was really interesting to see how that, that was used as a very effective metaphor for mental illness. Yeah. All, right. all of the, all of the sci-fi fantasy stuff that I love. Um, one of the reasons I love it, and this, I think it comes from growing up on Star Trek is 
it's all the power of allegory about being able to talk about being a human being or talking about the struggles that we face or about our society in uh, at, at a second layer of remove where you can sort of like abstract it and think about it a little bit more. And and Nathan, you're absolutely right. Like Legion is a show about an incredibly powerful telepath on the run who's who's had a very difficult life and may be struggling with mental illness as well as his mental powers. But that's not just what the show is about. That show is about people struggling with mental illness. It is absolutely about that and being different in other ways, not being neurotypical. That is what the show is about in a lot of ways. And that's one of the things I love about it is that, you know, it's not just, you know, there's not a lot of universal applicability for being an incredibly powerful mutant with a, uh, a terrorist monster psychic who lives inside your head. Um, right. That most of us don't, don't aren't affected by that, but we have a lot of people who are affected by something that they can kind of relate to that. And that's one of the things I like about the show. And I love that it lampshaded in that later season episode where they're all in the mental, they think they're all in a mental hospital. Right. They, they lampshaded the fact that all the, the cool and, you know, notably budget friendly powers that the supporting <laughs> cast had were also excellent meta, uh, metaphors for various kinds of mental illness or for various psychological conditions. Yeah. Mm. Right. Right. Oh, strong. I never even thought of that because, you know, I'm not that smart. So, <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, there's a lot, like, there's a lot here. I, I was grappling in that episode with the, like I said before, the spoiler horn, the whole idea of, like, what just happened? Like, because, because I don't think, I mean, I never believed they were really back in the mental institution. I, all along, I was like, this is, uh, something. This is a vision, a construct, a mental image, an astral plane. It's something, but what is it? Um, but it it doesn't it doesn't stall, right? It, it it is playing fair. It does advance the story. I felt like um, that episode gave us a lot of information about David and his internal struggle, and about the other characters on the show and who they were. Um, in, in which I, I felt almost it was like the show is stopping to say, okay we need to take a little more time with these characters for you to get to know them and care about them before we move ahead while also giving you some information about the struggle, the internal struggle that David, David has. So I really liked that episode. Um, even though it, it's, that's the point where the show is so confidently like, yeah, I'm going to make you frustrated now, viewer, you just deal with it. And yeah, yeah, it was hey, brilliant. And you know, there is something very interesting that happens during this, this, this whole se- uh, season. And there's a bad guy, quote, bad guy in, involved, and his name is Clark. And this whole, like, is it the government necessarily? I'm, I'm, I haven't really quite pinned it down of, like, who this anti- The Division 3 or whatever they are? Yeah, Division 3. I mean, is, is, that, a, is that a Marvel thing or is that a completely constructed thing? I, that's I, a no thing. Yeah, that's invented. Okay. I really like it, and I got to say, the Eye- Man, that guy is awesome as hell. He is awesome, but I was going to argue he's actually, I think, the one weak part of the show because he's awesome. He's got a great, the the actor who plays him has a great face, has a great presence. He is a consistent menace throughout the show, but there's nothing behind that. He, you never really Hmm. fully understand how his powers work. Um, you never really fully understand what drives him. You get that little bit, uh, in the mental hospital episode. But other than that one tiny scene, mostly it's just, he is a bad person, he likes to hurt people, and then he starts chasing down Carrie for no reason other than that he's a bad person who likes to hurt people. 
And especially when, when they give all that characterization to Clark, who starts off as your typical sinister government bad guy, and then all of a sudden, the first ten minutes of the final episode yeah. show you the world from his perspective. He's got a husband. They've got an adopted son. He's a loving yeah. father. He's, bip, 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 you know, bip, bip. yeah. That, 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 yeah, the Hamish Linklater stuff is so, like, we're going to now stop again to frustrate you. What, what are we watching here? And it's like, we're watching the guy who was by the swimming pool in the first episode and see that he got, yeah, he totally got burned and is disfigured and is miserable and has to recover. And only now in the last episode is he able to get up and, and go out there and try to find David again. Like, what a, what a, what a ploy by the show by Noah Hawley to turn it around like that but that that makes him a much more kind of like fully uh, realized character in a way that the eye isn't he's just like a super creepy looking cool like cool creepy sinister very cool uh, fellow who's following them around but um but he's got stakes like you jacked me up in a big way yeah. and I will crush you and I want to crush you but now I've learned some things in the last episode that maybe I'm not going to crush you. Well, and it's over this whole thing and the, the show doesn't make too big a deal of it. It's just sort of implicit in the conflict. Occasionally Gene Smart will have a speech about it, but it is this idea of, and this is very X-Men too, actually the government wants to control and suppress the things that it doesn't understand. And the, the mutants want to be free. And since this isn't the X-Men, Gene Smart gets to have her, her, her school or whatever out in the woods, but it's the same idea, which is like the, the government and they might as well be like the Sentinels. They are, they are trying to control all these people. There's a class of people that the government wants to control and put away somewhere and they want to be free. And so there's, you know, there's other sort of civil liberty questions happening in the background there too, but it also makes it feel a little bit more akin to the X-Men in that way that it is, you know, they want to be, they want to get him out and it's not just freeing him from the institution, right? It's getting him away from the, the government and because the government wants to control these people because they're powerful. I was going to say too, I like that they, um, they give that a light touch because some of some of the things I like the least about a lot of these TV shows are where you get into the details of like the government bureaucracy right. and how they, you know, <laughs> what what's the real story behind it and what's the infighting in the government that's led them down this path. And it's like, I don't care. I really don't. If you need them to be the bad guy, then great. But don't hang, hang on. I need to throw some darts at my Chris Carter dartboard. Yeah. Here. Well, yeah. Stargate <laughs> did that too. You know, because yeah. when you've got a, a gate that takes you to other planets, you know what you want is episodes where Robert Picardo shows you paperwork from Washington D.C. That's just what people tuned in for. So I'm glad that this Stargate show just doesn't is have time for that. Science fiction for middle managers. Yeah. It's like uh, the universe is in peril. Quick, you work up a PowerPoint. Can you fill I'll out the call form? A staff meeting. That's right. Okay. Well, even Captain Picard called sp- staff meetings, but Legion didn't have time for that stuff. Like when when they do a, a meeting in Legion, it is a group therapy session, right? Or they're using some of their wacky equipment. We should talk about Jermaine Clement. I mean, the the fact that there's a man in an ice cube, and it turns out that there's somebody who's been catatonic, lost in the astral plane for a decade, and is the husband of Gene Smart, and he's we he appears in his little like old style diving costume and 
And that's one of those psychedelic moments where you're like, I don't know what the hell is happening, but if you're paying attention, you can figure out very quickly what ends up happening, which is he's in this kind of like locked in this frozen thing, but there are ways, there's a conduit that you can get to him to communicate with him. And it all is there of like how Jermaine Clement's Ice Cube works. <laughs> if you I wasn't attention. ready for him to be a major player. I thought yeah. he was going to be a, a, a sub- voice. Yeah, basically, at, at best. I was not expecting him to be, make it all the way to the end and be a major factor in, obviously, in season, season two. two. Yeah, I, I right. in fact, I mean, I want to give Noah Hawley credit for deciding, like, everything that was going to be in this season up front. But the Jermaine Clement thing almost feels like it came in late. Like he came in late as a character and then he, they decided to keep him around because he was so great as a character. Because if, if that was planned, it is a very peculiar choice to have him basically not show up until very close to the end and then be very important. But Hey, however it happened, he was great. Having watched two seasons of Fargo, I totally buy that it was planned that way because he is full of those kind of sort of weird narrative detours that that just sort of take you over here and you go, oh, wait, that does connect. Yeah, man, the man Uh, in the ice cube. And 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 of course, the the sadness talking about Gene Smart when he kind of comes out of the ice cube uh, that he doesn't he's not all there and he doesn't remember uh, her. Right. And it's I felt broken heart. I know it was a designing woman moment. It was. It was. Um Although, so now that we've given adulation to this show for the better part of an hour, I wanted to say there are a couple things that I have a problem with in this show. And one of them is actually Jemaine Clement, where I feel like there's a moment where he just, um, they, they, you know, they're, they're having mental battles on all these fronts and, 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 and they figure out how to reach him and, uh, and, and carry, and Carrie reach him in the <laughs> ice cube. That's a, that's another we didn't even mention. The, that's a weird mutant pl- power, right? Where it's the 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 young Asian woman and the older white man who share a body. Young Native American woman. Oh, you're right, Native American woman. Yeah, and and, and they and share. She doesn't age, or she ages when she's out, but she's not out very often. I think is the impression yep. I get. Yes, it's yes. Uh, that's totally wacky, totally wacky, and and great. And she and she beats the crap out of some people and it's just kind of an amazing uh amazing set of scenes there and then she's she's injured and yeah there's all that good stuff but this is my complaint which is all of a sudden like jermaine clement's character oliver is he's out and that was one of those moments where i was like wait a second how did that happen yeah he he (laughs) wasn't supposed to be out like that and he's supposed to be super powerful too correct right i mean he's supposed to be like omega himself i guess he's uh i guess he's out of his his coma now it's sort of like unless that's a big plot twist in the second season it wasn't really there or something but he's driving a car away at the end right he was there it just it felt like uh and there was another moment i'm trying to think what it was but there are a couple moments toward the end where i felt like there were some shortcuts of like well we didn't explain this but we need this to happen so we'll make it happen that frustrated me because i felt they had played fair up to that point the big final showdown and and again this comes down to to budget i think they spent all their money elsewhere and wisely (laughs) but the big final showdown is two people running down a hallway at each other and then getting flown flung back in opposite directions that's it yeah that's the whole big showdown and that that was a little bit of a letdown for me 
Yeah, and yeah, they, I'm not. Enough. I'm not sure. I, bel- I I'm not sure. I really track what happens at the end, where she, you know, the yellow-eyed man goes into her, and then it goes into somebody else, and then it goes into somebody else. Because the way that was set up was that the yellow-eyed man was being able to be transferred by her power, but then he keeps being transferred after that, which doesn't, you know. So you he know, did. You can you can <laughs> argue that so so the yellow-eyed man, the, the shadow king. Jumps from King. David to Sid through Sid's power. Yes. Then Sid uses that right. power on Carrie. Or he uses he uses Sid's power on Carrie. to transfer himself to yes. Carrie. Right. So then the, right. the the Shadow Kings and Carrie, the Shadow King and David fight, and David basically kicks the Shadow King's uh, psychic tail so hard that he blasts the Shadow King out of Carrie. But then the Shadow King ends up in Jemaine Clement. Yeah. I mean, I that can, makes sense. I can. Uh, I can do that. I can step through those things. I'm not sure in the moment. I, I, I was like, well, is it playing fair here? But again, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, that is one of the reasons why I wonder if Jermaine Clement was meant to be uh, out and driving away at the end in the initial conception of the show, because I felt like maybe they cheated to get him out <laughs> because they wanted him out of the ice cube. <laughs> well, but he, I'm glad he's great. And it makes me wonder how the second season is going to go. I mean, I'm hoping that's something that's going to make sense in the second season. Um, but, you know, being used to Fargo where it is a totally different story. Right. That shares similarities. It's going to be interesting to see how he does a continuous story moving forward. Are, are we doing the wrong? Are we doing the wrong thing? Are, are we allowing ourselves to be constrained by normal storytelling? Uh, I'm just. I'm asking. I'm asking the question. Oh. I, I'm not sure if maybe. I'm right or wrong. I'm just. I'm just asking the question. Well, the show seems interested in in the serial storytelling, and it ends yeah. on a big cliffhanger, which I doubt right. it would do if it wanted to to set up a whole new story next season. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. Is it is going to be a continuous continuing thing? I'm curious to see if he can pull that off. Right. I'm, I suspect he will. The um. Did you all? watch the uh so after the credits roll in the last episode there's a scene did you all watch that or did you miss that or did you have to go catch it later because i had i can only say i for whatever reason i had an inkling no just a feeling and i i fast forwarded it through the credits on my tivo just in case there was a little tidbit at the end and there's a whole scene at the end but i heard from a lot of people who didn't know and had to go online and like watch that that final scene so did you all catch it yeah the time uh, codes were, were there was too much episode left for there to not be something after those final credits so i stuck i stayed and watched through them right okay i'll bite that i may <laughs> not have seen it oh so here's Uh-oh. the thing i think it's okay Blow the spoiler horn i think no we already did that <laughs> i think it's okay most uh, yeah. and, and, and here's the thing because it, it was like literally they ran all the credits to the end and then there was a scene but you could argue it's basically the first scene of season two. You could argue that it's the kind of thing they would release as a teaser before the season started to get you excited about it. And I'm sure that the beginning of season two will play this scene back at the beginning to set the tone for what is to come. So I don't think anybody who missed it will ultimately miss it because they'll probably just see it at the beginning of season two. But it is an interesting decision they made to do it. Basically, they wrap it up. Everybody's okay, except for Jimmy Clement, who is driving a car down the coast with the uh, Shadow King in his head. Um, and you see, you know, like David and Sid are at the edge of the treehouse and they're looking out and it's like, it's the end. Credits, whatever. 
come back. They're at the tr- they're at the treehouse, and a little like ball, like um, technology ball, <laughs> floats down. <laughs> floats down from the trees i think it's got blinking lights on it and it floats down like from the trees in the in the forest and they look at it and it a beam comes out of it and david disappears and you look and then inside the ball we see inside the ball and he's in the ball this little ball Are trapped me and he's like beating on no. the ball like ah, oh, let me out and it floats away and that's the end of the season no seriously uh, see now see if you told me that Patrick Stewart came out of the ball, then I'd be more interested. But, and Hello, David. I believe I'm your father. you're a very powerful yeah, exactly. mutant, David. It is how he travels in real life. I, so. I think I think we'll see him in season two. It wouldn't surprise we me have to. if we have if we have a specific. I mean, there's a wheel. There's a, a a gentleman in a wheelchair who is his father, and and they used a wheelchair from X Men Apocalypse. I think they used a a movie we, uh, Professor X wheelchair in that scene. So yeah, I mean, all you have to do is not have a Rolling Stones song and you can get a Patrick Stewart. Yeah, that's right. That's, I mean, that's it's, the simple trade-off. You just a little Muzak instead. A little just uh, yes. stock music and Patrick Stewart instead. Hey, he did he did a show for stars, it's so an, he'll do cable. So, Mose, you can see what I'm saying is it's an inessential cliffhanger. Like, even even to yeah, the point where if, I don't it, like it. if they weren't coming back, they probably would have just not played it and that, that would have been the end of it. I don't know yeah, if I liked it upsetting. either. It's like, do we need more narrative reason to come back? And also, it seemed totally, totally right. out of place from the rest of the show. Like, I guess somebody has magic technology balls that can shrink somebody and put them inside the ball. I guess it's like a real... In a show that fair, that played fair most of the way, it's a real what the hell just happened moment. So yeah, I like the way my 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 life ended. Yeah, which is just yeah, like, like uh, yeah. Jimmy Clements driving just, down the I, coast and everything's okay. That's that's how that's how I understood it. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah, I think that's fine. So I I had two things I wanted to talk about. All right. Um, first, am I the only one who thinks that Sid Barrett is the secret hero of the show? Is it a secret? David is. <laughs> David is sidelined for most of the action. David is is wandering around in his own head or wrestling with his own demons. Sid is the active protagonist. She's the one who figures things out. She's the one who rallies people together. She's the one who basically solves the mystery. And there's that great point in episode six or seven where Carrie comes to to free her from her slumber and fill her in on everything. And she's like, no, 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 I already figured it out. Come on, hurry up, let's go. And I loved that. I love that she kind of sneaks up and be, you know, you think she's going to be just the love interest. And no, she just sort of steps up and takes over the whole show. Well, and she defends her man in such a way that she be, I I can see where you're, where you're going with that because she, she acts as if I'm going to protect, I'm going to advocate for him while he's not around. She's also. I mean, and to take this back to that, the allegory level here too, right? She is the well person with a partner who is not well. And so she is forced to take care of him because even though he's incredibly powerful and all of these things and all of that, like he's got tr- got troubles <laughs> and she <laughs> is the one who is competent and uh, you know, able to, to able to reason out things when he is totally swamped with this other stuff going on. So I, I mean, I agree. I, I think David, David relies on Sid, and she is, um, she is shown as incredibly intelligent and competent. And yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. The second thing I wanted to talk about was just how dang scary this show is. <laughs> this show can get yeah 
it can be funny and absolutely blood curdlingly terrifying. My kids, my kids couldn't do it. My kids Uh, couldn't do it. Yeah. The first time after the first time you see the yellow eyed demon and, and when you actually see him, he's almost comical even as he's frightening. Yeah. But after that first time, you start to like dread and yet look forward to the next time he like slithers onto some corner of the screen out of the corner of your eye. Cause he never, you know, he never really seems to come straight at you until like the end. He, for, for most of the early series, he's crawling through cracks and popping up in, in bits and pieces. And you're always on edge because of that. And I love that feeling of creeping dread in the series. Yeah. And I love that, that even when Aubrey Plaza is revealed as the Shadow King, and even as she's doing amazing, hilarious stuff like, you know, a combination Bob Fosse, James Bond credit sequence slash <laughs> furniture humping dance sequence yep. through, you know, the, the corners of David's mind that she's gleefully trashing. Even as she's doing all that funny and hilarious stuff, it doesn't make the yellow-eyed man or her any less terrifying. Yeah. I mean, the, in the final episode, that just that split second shot of a shape rising up from under the bed sheets in David's little <laughs> mental quote unquote safe space. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> and the yellow eye man is totally like straight out of a horror movie monster. Oh yeah, right. And and Aubrey Plaza like crawling off the bed, oozing black pus from various sores on her face, mm-hmm. and then like delivering crass sexual innuendo is both horrifying and funny and i love that they they didn't try to to split the difference they didn't try to go back and forth between horrifying and funny they did them both at the same time so you didn't know how to feel how about this like i like episode five is my like my point at which if you haven't gotten into it you either are going to be fully into it or or absolutely like i hate this i'll never watch it again and i can't remember five is like this but five has complete silence for at least two to three minutes. Yep. That's a, uh, you know, these episodes have their own point of view a lot of the time that you get the, uh, you get the, the episode where they're back at the mental institution. You get the episode where you get the details about his backstory, which is in, which is all in episode five. That's the, is that the rainbow connection episode too? I think I, so. And yeah, there's that, that could be. heart freezing sequence in there where the, the yellow eyed man is shuffling through David's little mental bedroom chasing after Sid and it perfectly captures that, that frozen suffocating feeling of a nightmare where you're just desperate to wake up and you're trying to wake up and you can't wake up. And how yeah. about that gross book that he was read to as a child? Oh yeah, right. That, oh cuz that's God. that's the other the other version of the of the uh monster in his head is that is that the boy who doesn't smile or whatever it is from the from the book mm. and it's this grotesque children's book about like horrible murders and things. <laughs> I think that was something the Shadow King put in his head. Exactly. Though. Yeah. I think Right, because because they established that the Shadow King's messing with his memories, and, and they. I also wanted to mention in episode seven they bring back the silence uh, in the, the mental institution when they put on the glasses and everything turns black and white. Right, and I love oh. that it starts oh. as a homage to yeah. John Carpenter's They Live, and then turns oh into a homage to silent movies. Yep. when Aubrey Plaza shows up and starts snarking in intertitles. 
which mm-hmm. is great. Oh yeah, the silent movie thing is amazing, and the, the glasses that turn everything black and white and make you not see all of the peop- the monsters that are trying to get you because they're an illusion. Such a great. I mean, God, there's so much in this show. <laughs> you turn it around. I totally forgot about that. It was oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And you could. I just realized you could use the glasses as, as a metaphor for um, for antipsychotic or, or antidepressant medication. Yep. Yeah. They take all the yep. color out of the world. They make things quiet and drab, but they also let you function like a normal person. Or sorry, like a a neurotypical person. I don't mean to be insensitive. It's uh, it's an amazing show. There's so much in it. So if you've reached this point and you haven't seen it yet, for for, for the love of God. <laughs> Please go watch. I mean, we've been Legion. talking about it for what an hour sixteen yeah, minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you've watched it, watch it again. It really does reward rewatching. And and although I will say it's a little terrifying to try and binge it the second time because I, I wanted to refresh my memory. And uh, yeah, don't don't watch all eight in a day. No. And and I wanted to say we've been talking about you know the amazing artistic accomplishments of the show. This show's a lot of fun. It's funny. There's a Bollywood dance sequence. There's, like I said, there's Aubrey Plaza in, in black Bob Fosse stockings humping furniture uh, to Nina Simone's Feeling Good. It's a great, fun show that also happens to be all of these amazing artistic things and scary as all get out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this this is a show that hit all my buttons. And like I said, I'm I'm worn out of comic book shows. I think I think I'm still watching Supergirl and The Flash, but I really have to catch up on them. And I'm, you know, certainly with The Flash, I'm like, oh, come on. But this it's, is a show yeah, I would I, watch I gotcha. even if I hated comic book shows, even if I didn't if if I only watched one, this would be the one because it's all of those things and incidentally, it's a Marvel comic. All right. Go watch Legion FX or wherever else. I don't know where Legion is in the rest of the world. Hulu. That's the only one other one I've been watching on. Yeah, it's streaming on Hulu, but that's a that's a US US deal too. I don't know if it's available in other countries by some means or not. So it might be on Amazon or Netflix check or something. Your, it might be. Check your local listings yeah. <laughs> for time and channel of Legion. Check your local streaming service. Yes. Or wherever shows are available or google it google it sure for your for your region but uh definitely one of the this this show gave me the feeling that i got a couple years ago when i watched mr robot and not didn't yes. quite know what i was going to get and thought oh my god this is amazing <laughs> what, and, what and is it kept surprising doing? you each yeah. week and I, yeah. i've compared it to wes anderson i've compared it to david lynch but it also reminds me of edgar wright just that yeah. daring feeling of I'll try anything, I'll do anything, I'll, I'll meld together all these influences, and I won't care that that someone says I can't do it because it's fun and I'll try it. Yeah, it's it's a very similar kind of playfulness. I, I and I think you're right. I think it's even more Edgar Wright than it is Wes Anderson or Coen Brothers. Hmm. Although the pink beanies that the the government henchmen wear are so Wes Anderson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ready for that at all. In in the least. Uh... All right, I'm going to close up the the podcast and thank my guests for talking about this great show that you should check out, Legion. David J. Lore, thank you. You are always my inner Aubrey Plaza. I uh, as are you. What? Uh, I just want to say I'm fl- <laughs> I'm floating away in a little hmm. tiny ball, but the best part is I'm watching this really warped eighth season of Parks and Rec right now. Nathan Alderman, thank you for coming out of your ice cube to be with us. Uh, You're welcome. Now I have to go put on my leisure suit and read some more beat poetry. (laughs) And Philip Moselak. Mose, you will always be my favorite designing woman. (laughs) 
Jason. <laughs> oh, and I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening to The Incomparable. We'll see you next week.